Today's episode is brought to you by CVTSport.net, Central Vermont's local sports video leader. Our guest this week on No Fouls is the only Vermont coach to win championships at three different schools. And he is the reason why I never got a chance to win a championship. The Thetford boys knocked me out both years I was on varsity at Hazen. Please welcome Coach Dave McGinn. Thanks for having me. I'm, I, I'll offer my apologies to get us started, uh, but uh, we had some great games back in that window. Oh, absolutely. And it makes it easier when you lose, when you know it's to a good team. Like there's oh, no, kind of there's no hard feelings. Yeah. Aaron, Aaron, and I, Aaron Hill and I certainly had a, a mutual admiration society pulled together with, I, I loved having our teams play against each other because they just played hard and I thought played the game pretty well. So yeah, and I remember, I think it was our junior year. This was still, you guys couldn't do playoffs at Thetford. So you were at Windsor, I believe. Right, that's that's true. Yeah, the whole time I was there, that was the case. Uh, we had that wonderfully old uh, brick. Uh, I believe it was considered to be uh, prime uh, construction for its time. Uh, but you know, if you had more than a size 10 on the sidelines, you were actually in the game as a spectator. So, uh, down to Windsor, we went and the Windsor, uh, community actually adopted Thetford almost as if we were their second home team. Yeah. I was going to ask is, does anything kind of tweak or is anything different when you're getting ready for a playoff game at home on the road? Well, uh, certainly during that time, as we were transitioning from one league to another and our programs were seeing more success, one of the things that we did was scheduled Windsor so that we at least had at least had one game and uh, oftentimes played in a winter uh, tournament that they had to try and get two games in the gym during the regular season so that we, we had at least been there. And then, as I say, you know, both Bob Hingston at the time and Harry Ledoux, uh, all of them, including the Windsor people, would turn out for our games. I think by the second year we were there, uh, we had amazing crowds, and at least a third of them were members of the local Windsor community. They loved their basketball there, and they just adopted us as a second home team and would came, would come to our games, and, and it was phenomenal. And it's obviously a beautiful facility to play in. Yeah, obviously did – North South for I don't know how many years, but uh, yeah. And I, between Thetford and their, you know, especially at that time, they would travel. You'd get a Hazen that would travel our junior year. That gym was packed. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. And, and again, uh, you also had a fan base that I think was uh, a pretty, uh, in tune with what was going on, not only with their own teams, but also recognized other good teams and, and enjoyed the notion of seeing two teams go at it 
uh, and uh, became as much a part of the experience as, as the game itself. Let's kind of go back to the beginning. Were you a multi-sport kid growing up? I heard you were quite the baseball player at Brattleboro. Well, yeah, I grew up in Brattleboro, was born there. Uh, I was a three-sport athlete, played football, basketball, and baseball. Uh, I did have the good fortune to go on and play at UVM uh, for Jack Leggett, who, quite frankly, was my coaching mentor. Uh, After I played for him, I then went on to Western Carolina University, where I was his pitching coach. And uh, as much as I learned from him as a player in four years, I probably learned Oh, exponentially more having the opportunity to just pick his brain uh, and his coaching approach, his work with all of us as both his athletes as as well as his assistants. Um, and I would say at least 90% of my uh, coaching uh, going forward came out of uh, that, which I learned from him. So I always like to ask and maybe – that's the answer, but who was the first coach you had that really had an impact on you? Oh, wow. Well, I, I'm going to have to say that uh, it was Ralph Mominy. He was my freshman football coach at uh, Bradboro, and uh, that was the year that my father left our home. And uh, I was a 15-year-old uh, who was pretty angry at the time and confused uh and this happened just before school opened and coach mominy uh wrapped his arms around me and uh really looked after me and kept my eyes on the prizes that i had control over uh and set a tone for uh you know the kinds of things that kept me focused on what was important and uh got me through a very difficult, got me started on a difficult year. And he kind of handed the baton on to others who, you know, the school and the community, my friends, my family, obviously, uh, really, really put the circle, the wagons for me. Uh, And in fact, recently uh, at the Hall of Fame inductions at, at Bradboro, I actually took that opportunity to thank the community because uh, anything I've done since then, I hope, has been a measure of paying it forward. How much of that made an impact on you, you know, as you moved on and you were in these different communities, you know, Thetford, not a giant community, in terms of kind of building that atmosphere that you wanted for your players? Well, ultimately, I've said all, all along that uh, if I'm not if I'm not doing more than just coaching a sport and teaching skills and uh, tactics, uh, I shouldn't be allowed to do the job. Uh, there's so much more uh, that I certainly experienced uh, and pr- uh, benefited from uh, in helping raise young people into young adults. Uh, even at the collegiate level, uh, the short time I coached at that level, uh, working with uh, young adults who were beginning to transition into their true independence, uh, all of that uh, is an investment in uh, an extended family uh, that when I look back over my years, uh, I, I 
I'm very proud of the the privilege that was extended to me to work with kids in each of the communities. I'm going to kind of go off that, and we may jump around a bit, but it is sparked something. As you sit now, and you, you know you're running the athletic department at St. John's Barry, so you have you know fingers in every team and so many student athletes. Where do you? kind of come down now when it comes to the importance of integrity in sports and things like accountability and being able, you know, to discipline students for whatever it may be, behavioral issues, substance abuse, any of the things we see kind of a little more prevalent now. I know uh, my stepson is 12 and it's, it's a different world and Mm -hmm. they feel like they, you know, deserve a lot of things and it's much harder now to kind of steer them in different directions. Mm -hmm. I guess one of the things that I would point to is preventative medicine is that uh, I think, I think a lot of what we're dealing with in our culture today and over certainly recent years really comes in the hands of uh, building, you know, character issues like respect. Uh, You mentioned integrity in in process, Uh, working in a premise on a premise where, you know, people put the needs of others ahead of their own uh, and really uh, becoming almost metronomic in how you uh, share that thinking, especially with kids, but also adults, their parents, uh, to say this is who this is who we want to be. Uh, the the role I have right now uh, as the athletic director for the Kingdom East School District, uh, I went around to every single team and spoke to them about the three things that we expect of all kids. One, that they are first and foremost a good citizen. That everyone can be that is totally within every person's control. Second, then be a good student. Not everybody's an A student, but everybody can do the best that they can in each classroom uh, and be a good member of the school community. Uh, And that, quite frankly, success is a skill. That thinking that I'm going to be successful in one area and allowing myself to not be successful in another uh, is counterproductive. That, in fact, trying to be successful at the things, whether it's in school, whether it's uh, work at home and things of that nature that I'm not particularly good at or find that will make me not only a better person, but it will also help me be a better athlete. Yeah. Do you also, I know a lot of schools, Colchester, we did, you have kind of the, the meeting before the school year starts with parents and students. Do you kind of set ground rules for lack of a better term for parents as well. I mean, unfortunately Vermont was in the news recently as mm-hmm. you know, a fight breaks out at a middle school basketball game, which is just horrendous to see. Do you set those rules? Like I would always, when I was coaching at Colchester, if you have an issue with something, give it 24 hours. If you're still upset in 24 hours, please reach out to me. Things, things like that. Well, certainly one of the things I've always said as it relates to the difficulties parents might have over the course of a single game uh, is to never approach a coach at a game site or a practice site 
in a public setting uh, when they are still focused on dealing with a team of 10 to 20 some odd kids that, you know, a parent may have been sitting in the stands or wherever they were and have developed their line of thinking uh, and it's organized and the coach probably doesn't see it coming and nothing ever good comes from that. The additional piece you all already identified is that over time, I don't have data to support it, but I think most people, when they walk away from something, get a good night's rest and get up and look at it the next morning, it's diminished its its intensity and, and oftentimes doesn't warrant carrying any further. Uh, but I still think, much like I mentioned before, I think a lot of it's about setting out expectations and giving giving a face to what the environment should look like. You know, I will, I will admit I've spent a lot of time this year talking directly to attendees to events, uh, literally face to face, saying, you know, giving examples. Uh, for instance, I've said recently at basketball games, I ask you to please pay attention to what's coming out of your mouth. If it sounds enthusiastic and positive, let it flow. If it sounds like coaching or interpretation of the rules or judgment of the officials, I've brought people in here to do that, and that's not your task. Uh, I also use the analogy that you're a guest in somebody's school, and just like going to someone's home over the holiday, you would no sooner walk in and start telling people how to prepare the hors d'oeuvres or any of that. Uh, you'd be polite and you'd be appropriate, and um I think, you know, I, I knock on some wood, you know, in, in all my years, uh, I haven't really experienced too many difficult challenges uh, within our overall athletic community. All right, let's go back a little bit. When did the idea that you'd like to try coaching start coming to, you know, fruition for you? Well, you go all the way back to Coach Mominy. When when I was in high school, uh, I will tell you I'm I'm the only member of my sibling core, uh, and some would argue my family who didn't go into the medical profession. Uh, both my brothers are doctors. My sisters were nurses. My mother taught nursing, uh, but she was also possibly the best teacher I've ever known. And she inspired me to be in education. And then my experience in high school uh, literally did make me want to give back uh, to all that was given me. And it seemed like the perfect avenue for me to continue my athletic uh, passion, follow my athletic passions, uh, knowing that my playing days would, would come to an end at some point. And interestingly for me, at least, uh, that happened when I finished finished at UVM. Uh, I was pretty clear that, you know, I was done playing and that I wanted to turn my competitive nature into a different avenue. And coaching was just naturally it. Uh, when I was first at UVM, Coach Leggett um, didn't have an assistant. Uh, I was early in the UVM program and he allowed me to coach base when I was first base when I wasn't pitching. And uh, that just sort of, I think that connection with him led to my being invited to be a graduate assistant when he went to Western Carolina. Uh, and uh, I, I think coaching is 
possibly the two best hours of the day uh, when it comes to work because it isn't work. Um, it's just it's just a time to share with kids something you hopefully all uh, are passionate about. How long did it kind of, did you feel like it took you to find your groove when you started? A lot of times it can be harder to kind of make, especially straight from being a high level athlete to then go into coaching. It's that it's a bit of a hard transition. Yeah. I will, I will share that uh, my first job was actually at a small college in Georgia. I was, I was hired to be the baseball coach and teach there and i also picked up the women's basketball program while i was there and so i was working with young people who were in many cases only a couple years younger than i was and i wish i had known then what i know now and i'm probably not the first person to have ever said that Uh, but of the last third of my career one of the things that i think i've learned most is to have the courage to admit you don't know what you don't know. And if I had known that back then, I think I would have been much more open-minded. I was, as many, I think, athletes and coaches are, I was very confident. Uh, I had an amazing mentor in Coach Leggett, uh, and I was on a mission. You know, for instance, when I came back to Vermont, uh, I felt like I was prepped to coach baseball because I had had this, you know, most recent experience but I knew I needed to, uh, I wanted to be a great basketball coach or as good as I could be. And so I put my hooks into Lenny Drew and Dan Gandon and Bruce Viennes from Randolph uh, and said, look, you're the kinds of guy, you're having the kinds of experiences I would like as a coach and that I would like for my kids. Would you mind me getting into your back pocket and picking your brain? And the three of them, uh, were unbelievably supportive of me. And um, I will always be grateful for them because they they helped steer me uh, on a path to try and find success in basketball in Vermont. That's, that's pretty awesome to hear. And I love the idea that you're always learning. I think on occasion, some coaches kind of forget that. But, and you mentioned those three how important was it, especially over such a long career to be able to learn and adapt because the game changes? Oh, no question. Uh, In fact, uh, from the, from the experience you had crossing paths uh, during your playing experience, um, when I transitioned to St. Johnsbury Academy, I went there to be the athletic director. I didn't anticipate coaching, uh, and that just sort of came came to play. And one of the things I really appreciated getting there was, as you probably remember, uh, in, di- in the lower divisions, and I, I mean no disrespect, yeah. but in the lower divisions, the top three, maybe four teams will play a schedule, oftentimes of mixed division. Uh, and when you're really good, you may only have a few challenging games on your regular schedule, which is, that's okay. Uh, but one of the things I found by coaching in the Metro was that if you didn't come prepared, you would lose. Yeah. Period. And that was very exciting. And in the process, uh, some might say I'm a bit of a control freak, uh, and that's probably true. Um, 
But one of the things the kids at the academy taught me, I was gifted with some very talented players. And uh, suddenly I, I had to accept that there were some times I needed to let them do what God gave them the capacity to do. And in fact, it, it changed my coaching that late in my career to uh, actually accept looking at the game differently and realizing, yes, we we still needed structure. We still needed a plan to go in with, but we also needed some room to let what naturally could happen, happen. And that was actually a lot of fun for me. And I, I'm not sure that there weren't times that I wasn't learning more from the kids than maybe they were from me. I'm curious, and you mentioned structure about, I mean, we saw it obviously at Thetford for a number of years. What kind of did your practices look like? How were they organized and structured? Because you always seem to have incredibly disciplined teams. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that. Uh, I have always been uh, a a very or I hope organized coach in my practice approach. Uh, we, we spend hopefully not too much time on any one thing. We keep practice moving, but for instance, I have a printed practice schedule. I've got probably 15, you know, three ring binders with all of our practices in them that uh, is laid out before practice. The players were always expected to come in and read the practice schedule so they knew what we were going to be doing so we didn't lose time transitioning from one thing to the next. We could just keep moving. Uh, but again, to speak to the piece about um, uh, the experience at the academy, one of the things, again, that I learned from my players, uh, Antonio Carlisle, who was our captain for three years, uh, he uh, was a sophomore my first year and, and captained the team from that point through, came to me at one point and said, Coach, can we compete at as much of everything that we do in practice as possible? And I did that. You know, I said, let's try it. And uh, it was amazing. You know, the kids really took it to heart, whether it was, you know, free throw percentage, whether it was, uh, you know, uh, rebounding drill in which they had a group out that would measure one another. You know, there was a big part uh, that you point to about accountability. For instance, when we do would do closeouts uh, on the ball, we needed to call ball, we needed to call shot, we needed to box. And it was the job of the offensive player to hold their teammate accountable. If they didn't do any one of those things, there was some minor thing that they were expected to do, nothing of significance. Uh, but it was just a reminder and also getting them to say, this is who we are. And we're going to, we're going to make sure we're all on that same page. I love that answer because it really, it hits home. And I think it's, and a lot of people I've talked to, it relates to success. You know, when we would, when I was in high school, I tell people this now, we never played harder than we did in practice against one another. The games were relatively easy. Practice, people are diving in the bleachers and getting after their friends, and it's completely competitive. And part of that was, you know, having great leaders that held us accountable. And I'm not talking necessarily about Aaron, who does a great job, but, you know, we had captains like Rick Welcome 
and Dylan Barton. And if you weren't going a hundred percent, Rick welcome would be in your face and it wouldn't be pleasant. But that also traces back to Aaron. That's not an accident. Yeah. You know, uh, you end up creating a tradition, which uh, certainly the Hazen community has uh, where generation to generation starts returning uh, and that same kind of energy. And in fact, you have young kids in the community who are looking, looking up and seeing those leaders and wanting to be that person. And uh, it, it is not an accident that, that, you know, yes, I've seen scenarios where certain programs, you know, I'm not saying necessarily in Vermont, but watching enough that occasionally you'll get a cohort that will come through who's just going to be successful and they do have those elements but it's when you look around the state and you see the dave fredericksons you see the harry ledoux you see the uda otley's you see all those coaches who have those programs you can go down the ladder and find that everything is focused on the same thing and everybody wants to be a part of it and aaron has that in hazen when did you make your way to oxbow so uh that was an interesting transition for me from georgia uh, i when i was at western carolina university uh ron huntington the huntington family uh may be familiar to you yep. uh the ron was the second baseman on the baseball team at western carolina university and and that's where i met his father george uh, for the first time, uh, and we became friends and, uh, we, my wife and I decided, uh, not long after being in the South that we really wanted to come back to new England. And so I started applying for jobs and the, uh, there was a position at Oxbow high school, uh, that was actually intended to be a teaching halftime and athletic director, halftime position. And, um, put my name in. And I thought I remembered that George, uh, that that was a community that, that, uh, Ron had come from. And so I called George just to reach out and say, Hey, anything you know about this, or maybe you could help me with. He actually thought I was calling to recommend one of my players. And, uh, he called me back on Monday. I said, no, I'm interested in coming. And that was a Monday on set on Friday of that week. I had an interview and uh, then had the job. And that's what brought uh, my family back to Vermont. What was the state of the boys program when you went to Oxbow? Because, you know, obviously end of the eighties into the nineties, the girls program was the show stealer, not no just question. at that school in the state. It was yep. people watching yep. Jade or Jazz Huntington. Yeah. Well, J Jade and Jazz were babysitters uh, for my boys, and uh, they're like daughters to me. And um, certainly when I arrived, uh, I think Mona was at somewhere in the neighbor of 67 win, consecutive wins and counting, uh, and they were clearly the show. And it made it – it made it pretty easy to come in and sort of establish myself because I wasn't in the immediate crosshairs, but uh, it was a community. It is still is a community that loves its athletics and uh, basketball 
probably was paramount at the time. And, uh, you know, we were fortunate. I came in and inherited a group of boys that uh, were hungry to play. Uh, and we made it to a Final Four uh, that year. Uh, in I think it was 1989. One of the things I actually am kind of proud of is that I've, I, I've had at the three schools final four appearances in five different decades, the eighties all the way through 2020. And, uh, you know, that was the first one, but, you know, at the same time, going back to an earlier question uh, is that, you know, a few years later, we graduated a whole group of kids and had to start all over again. We went 0 and 20 and George came to me at the end of the season. He says, David, you must be doing something right because, I would have imagined most coaches at 0-20 in this town being gone by now. Uh, so I just smiled and we went on. And I think it was four, three or four years later, we were 23-0. So I want to talk about that undefeated season. But first, I would love a Mona story because widely known and a lot of people tell me was the best girls basketball coach this state has ever seen. And obviously, you know, you mentioned integrity. They had the Mona Garone sportsmanship award for years and years. We won it when you beat us in the championship. (laughs) I would love a good Mona story. Well, I I think the thing that I, I consider to be most important in my connection with Mona is that she, and I'm going to mention Sheila Bruley as well. Uh, and Coach Wheeler from Essex, uh, but it was living in my community that I think it could easily be said that those three women and Mona, maybe arguably at the forefront of it all, uh, elevated women's athletics uh, in the state uh, to an equal playing field, or at least in terms of of uh, what people saw. You know, when I was in high school. Uh, the girls team played in the afternoon. Uh, only the boys teams played at night. And, uh, you know, Mona cared very deeply about having it understood that this was basketball. This was not boys basketball or girls. This was basketball, period. And uh, I think that was the thing I appreciated, appreciated about her most. The thing that I tell is the story, however, is because of all of her success, Mona had the, you know, the Willy Wonka golden ticket at the Barry Odd. If you were anywhere within 20 feet of Mona, you could get into the odd. You could walk anywhere you wanted to go. You could have any seat you could possibly want. So let's just say I was wise enough to be inside that 20 foot circle so that I could get a feel for the place and get a sense of what it meant to be there. Um, but it, it was, you know, her run, uh, well, Uta's the only person in the state who has any sense of what that's like, having having broken the record at this point. Yeah. You mentioned it kind of earlier about learning and, you know, picking a Dan Gandon's ear and some of those other people. It's funny because we talked about it with Patrick Rainville, and he talked about how much this environment currently at St. Jay, he talks to Jade, more than almost anybody, and they'll go back and forth with ideas. Were you able to do the same with Mona? 
Uh, that, you know, that's interesting. When you frame it that way, I would uh, have to be honest and say no, that, um, you know, as is off the case, uh, you know, your, your ship's passing in the night uh, with practices and so on. And, uh, and I, I was very intentional about connecting with, you know, the three gentlemen that I've mentioned. Uh, and so I've, as much as I've been a bit of a surfer and paying attention to what other people are doing, when I found good resources, I, I tr usually have tried to narrow my field of thought so that I'm clear and not getting jumbled in where I'm going with something. Uh, so I don't think there was certainly an intentional action to not have that connection. Uh, but I, we were kind of ships passing in the night and, uh, you know, I had, I had sort of identified the, the people that I was going to. So I'd like to be able to tell you that that had been the case, uh, but it wasn't. So 1993 and, you know, there's very few when you look at the broad picture of Vermont basketball teams that have gone undefeated and had these long streaks, whether it be, you know, Oxbow girls, CVU girls, Williamstown boys had a run. Proctor boys have had their run in the moment. As you're going through that season, did you know you had something special? Oh, I, I knew it as the season started. Uh, I've often, you know, people would come to me. Uh, I, I tell this story that a number of folks would come to me and say, you know, David, you're doing such a great job with this team. And I said, any work that I did that had any value happened two years ago uh, as we were struggling with some young kids to bring them up. I said, I, I'm gifted right now with a team that I think maybe, maybe possibly barring division, one of the better teams in the state. They're very talented. And my pregame speech was often something to the degree of if you simply play to your ability we will win tonight and uh uh in some ways it was both a great and and a very challenging ride throughout because you might also know that the girls that year were also undefeated and there was a big uh to do made of the fact that i believe it was suggested i i never tracked it that it may have been the first time that a single school had two undefeated teams in the same sport in the same season and so we were getting an awful lot of attention that quite frankly including the coach we weren't all that accustomed to and we didn't always handle it uh as well as i would have liked and and in fact part of the story and i'm i'm actually kind of proud of them to say it uh, is that I actually went to the championship game, win, lose, or draw, prepared to say I, I really needed a break. Uh, this was intense. Uh, there's something that I'm not comfortable with and so on. And I had a thing written that I was going to read. The game ended. Uh, you know, I'm a big believer that the game is played by the kids. Uh, I sat down on the bench. The kids were on the floor celebrating. And all of a sudden, I heard this voice in my left ear, and it was – Jeff Page, one of our players, uh, the young man who was a senior that year, and he said, Coach, thanks for bringing us. And I just melted. And I got on the bus. I said, I had something I was going to read to you, and I just tore it up uh, in front of them. Uh, it was never, never read. It, it was never done. And 
Uh, I thank Jeff Page to this day for being the glue that held me together uh, to keep me going. Wow. That's a, that's a fantastic story. Uh, I've been trying lately to get my hands on, you know, old basketball footage from the auditorium and hopefully I have some success coming my way soon. Tell me a little bit about Jamie Kingsbury because from everything I've heard was an absolutely incredible player. That's uh, it really is true. Just an incredible athlete. Uh, he, he's in there in his soccer season, his senior year, uh, they played against quite frankly, an amazing Thetford team in the state championship. Uh, I think Oxbow maybe had four shots total on goal. Uh, two of them were set shots by Jamie that won the game two to one. Uh, and in basketball, uh, possibly, you know, I would say Alex Carlisle uh, of my time at the academy uh, is the only one who I think came close to being as quick off the floor uh, as Jamie was. And uh, he went on, quite frankly, he was also a phenomenal baseball player. He he did a year at UVM before transferring, uh, but one of his coaches uh, told me that he thought he was possibly the most draftable kid on the team as a freshman. Uh, and uh, But he was quiet. He was he was subtle in his approach to it. You know, uh, some people would say it j- just doesn't look like he's ever working hard, and yet uh, he could he could uh, be happy with twenty uh, and uh, score forty in a nanosecond. And uh, in fact, some would say, uh, and I think rightly so, that he didn't get his two thousandth point because of me, because when we had. Uh, extended leads uh i've always believed in in winning with integrity and 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 realizing that what goes around usually comes around uh and that there's a way to treat people with respect and there were a number of games especially in his senior year where he was on the bench uh by the end of the game uh at time he could have easily made up the difference between that and scoring 2000 so yeah he was he's an amazing athlete a great young man Awesome. So what goes in to the decision to move to Thetford? So uh, I had been at, at Oxbow for eight years and uh, early in my career, I'm now 10, essentially 10 years removed from being in graduate school and thinking a lot about what I wanted to do uh for next phases in my career. And I was contemplating um, administrative work, uh, but in particular, it had been eight years since I had had an interview. I thought, in fact, my wife and I discussed that I would apply for some jobs. And if I did nothing more than have a few interviews, that that would have been a good exercise that year. Um, But I applied to be the Dean of Students at Thetford Academy and as a private school, uh, there were some avenues there that I could walk that the public school system didn't necessarily afford me. And uh, as I interviewed, I actually drove home and said to my wife, I think they might offer this to me. Uh, and if they do, I think we need to consider it. And sure enough, uh, I was offered that opportunity. 
And it, in fact, included uh, a position initially that said if I was going to be accepted for the job, that I wouldn't coach. Uh, and wow. I said, that's fine. I, you know, it was a transition and, and uh, I was open to pursuing that and seeing how it played out. Uh, but I was the about a week later, we drew Thetford in the first round of the baseball tournament and word was getting around the street and I wanted to be able to share with my kids. So I spoke to them about it, that I was leaving uh, and we won that game. And the day after the baseball coach uh, announced his retirement at Thetford. And so uh, I didn't say anything. I got down there and uh, I think it was possibly in October Somebody said, look, we have a baseball coach here. Let's ask him if he'll do it. So I ended up coaching baseball. And uh, not long thereafter, uh, Ted Peters, who had been the first and only athletic director at Thetford Academy, uh, retired as well. And that's when I transitioned into that role and picked up basketball. And um it was it was a wonderful community uh, to have been a, a member of because I really got to wrap my hands around a lot of the different elements of of what makes the school community so special. Tell me a little bit about kind of building that basketball program and that atmosphere. Not just you know obviously yourself, but you know what Coach Ward meant to the girls' program as you know both teams had such an unbelievable run and they're you know you have jason gray doing a fantastic job there now and i was just talking to aaron the other day about how scrappy that team is this season like what was it like building that up and seeing kind of the fruits of the labor throughout both programs well i i think in all the people you just mentioned uh, there are some common characteristics in that uh, they understand that it it isn't about you individually. In, in other words, I, I don't know of a single program where the varsity team is just good every year and there isn't any success going on at any other level. And it, it, it involves all of those people deciding that they are going to make the investment over time in the entire program, you know, when you look at even curriculum building in schools, you look at uh, scaffolding and building something up from its base uh, to bring kids to a, a certain level of performance. And uh, in this case, you know, it, in each of the communities, it meant going to the youth sports program, talking and set, making yourself available, giving giving a picture of what the final part looks like. You know, when I think about teaching defense uh, in, in a gym, I start always with the whole. Here's what the whole looks like. Now we're going to break it down into the parts and build up to this. This That's what we want it to look like. Now let's get down and break this apart and, and build it up to that. And that, that takes a lot of energy. It takes available time. Uh, it takes other people. You know, and I think that's one of the key things that um, each of the communities has is that, you know, Aaron certainly 
uh, has been wise in using his alumna and and bringing people back to the program. I think I personally, certainly at the Acad- St. Johnsbury Academy, one of the things I truly looked at was how often could I bring an alumni member back into coaching to give back to their school because no one knows better how the system works than those that benefited from it. And, uh, you know, and Eric certainly was that when he, when he came in, he inherited the boys or the girls uh, at a time when they were down uh, and he didn't bat an eyelash because it was also when I had moved our programming from the CVL to the capital division and we're playing bigger schools and the girls we knew had a population of kids in the middle school who were going to benefit from that, but they were going to take a couple years to get there. And once the Cheyenne Josler group made it to, uh, to Eric from that point on the rest, as they say, is history. I mean, he just kept the ball rolling. I always love to ask what was kind of your experience when it came to coaching your son at you know, a high level? Oh, boy. I've always uh, been told, Aaron told me right after I had my kids, he said, the highs are higher and the lows are lower. It's, it, it's, it's certainly a challenge. Uh, for instance, uh, I once overheard my uh, oldest son say to my oldest brother, who said, my my wife at the time at Thetford was the study center coordinator, which you can imagine is not necessarily the most popular job right. uh, in school. And uh, my brother said, so what's it like being in the school with your parents? And he goes, what would you think if your parents had the two worst jobs in the school, dean of students and study center monitor? But um we joke about the fact that there were some nights that we would come home and my wife would send each of us to a different corner of the house and tell us not to come back out until we could be calm and talk about whatever was going on. But it was an absolute uh, privilege to coach my sons. Um, I have been fortunate to see each of they they each went on and played in college. So I had the opportunity to get to see them play for someone else and enjoy that uh, and just be in the bleachers and be a dad. Um, There are times when uh, I certainly would look and say, boy, I wish, or let me put it this way. When they each went to college, I said, my greatest, uh, hope for you is that you're truly going to love being the only McGinn on your campus. And um, is just the notion that uh, I was, people will argue this harder on them than I would be on others because I didn't want them to at any time appear to have some favored nation status. Uh, I always said to them, you know, if things go awry, uh, it will be an easy out for someone to go at, but they can go at me. It is not your cross to bear. Uh, but we did have an ex, uh, an agreement in school that in school I was Mr. McGinn or coach and that I would not interfere in their space unless whatever they were doing right. warranted being there. So, uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know, uh, when when we became empty nesters, my wife and I both looked at each other and go, what did we used to do before they were here? And, uh, 
you know, they, uh, I'm proud as could be of them. They've now each given me a grandchild and, uh, I, I'm now much clearer about what my final retirement is going to look like. That's awesome. How important were your assistants in that process? You know, when we talked to Uda, she just glowed. Nope. My assistant took care of my daughter. If they needed something, they could come, but it was much easier for her to talk to her than, you know, mom to be the one to do it. That's, that's a really interesting question. Um, this may not come across very clearly, but I'm actually pretty introverted yep. uh, and I'm a very private person. And uh, so I would say over time that, you know, whatever we needed to work out at home or between us was done there. Uh, and it wasn't always easy. Uh, in fact, in fact, uh, I hope he wouldn't mind me telling you this, but uh, my oldest did his his uh, college essay with the title Monsters. And uh, I actually was concerned about it. We intentionally did not get involved in his essay uh, because uh, we had a, a friend who was an English teacher who he adored that would help him with it. My youngest was more into graphic novels and things of that nature. And I thought, I'm going to be interested to find out what this essay is all about. But it was about his coaches his freshman year. And he had Will Voigt, uh, who you might know, yeah. uh, and at, who was his soccer coach. He had Chris Lazier, uh, who was his basketball coach. And then he said, at the end of the year, if you thought those two were tough, my dad was my baseball coach. And, you know, and... We sit often and look back and say, there certainly were some challenging times, but in the same way, I think about the roots that I was given in the community of Brattleboro. I think my sons would speak similarly about the privilege that sport provided them uh, and how that's helped structure their lives. And I, I was privileged to be a part of it. So as someone who, has had a great deal of success. Where does, you know, being able to stand next to your sons with a championship trophy, being able to see them reach that pinnacle of Vermont basketball, where did that kind of stand for you? Uh, I, I'm hopefully like every parent. I, I couldn't be prouder of my boys. Uh, they, uh, all along the way have uh, given uh, my wife and I just so much to be grateful for, uh, including now that their parents, uh, the what they are doing with our two grandchildren and seeing all that they've accomplished, but most importantly, who they are as people, uh, that um, as parents, uh, I, we honestly, the two of us could not look back and ask for anything more. Was it just the opportunity of St. Johnsbury or did you feel like you were ready for a new challenge? I was hoping you wouldn't get me to tell this story, but, uh, my micromanager side, uh, my last year at Thetford Academy I was the interim head of school 
And part of it was, I'm pretty good at systems analysis. Uh, and our head was ready to retire, but she had begun an initiative at the school that she really needed more time to complete. And so uh, in conversations with her, we came up with a plan to have me be an interim head and uh, a whole new administrative structure so that she could stay on and finish this initiative that was really important to the school and work that really only she could lead. And uh, in doing so, I did a pretty good job of organizing the restructuring for the year only to come to spring and realize that uh, the one person I hadn't really thought of for the future was me. And uh, the only real recourse would have been for me to actually ask Jade to step down and reopen a position that I used to occupy. And I simply wasn't going to do that. And um, so in March, late March, we were looking for a job. And I had actually recommended two people for the St. Johnsbury Academy position. And so I was conscious of the, its opening. And I called to Tom Conti, who was the athletic director at the time, who had always been very good to me uh, as I was trying to find games with larger schools for our kids to play. Uh, and I said, I said, Tom, you probably don't want to talk about this, uh, but I was just wondering, is the position still open? And so uh, he said, I think it may be. And here's the person you can call. Uh, who is Beth Schwanier, who is the assistant head of school. Uh, as it turns, so I called her and that night I found myself sending my materials up uh, and uh, it just happens that Beth's maiden name is Picard, Donnie Picard's uh, daughter. Donnie was my pitching coach at UVM and uh, let's just say the path followed and suddenly I was the athletic director at the Cat. You mentioned it a little bit in the beginning of the show, kind of the culture change or the competitive change of division one to division mm -hmm. three. Did you find that exciting? The new challenges and, you know, you're going against, you know, some of the best teams pretty much every single night. Uh, I, I think if you're asking from the lens of an athletic director, uh, one of the, I had the privilege of working for Tom Lovett, who was the head of school uh, at the academy. And his challenge to me was to have all the teams at the academy playing at the highest level possible. What an exciting challenge. I mean, right. uh, to, to work for somebody who says, I want you to get our programs to be the best that they can be across the board. I mean, it's not just one, not two or three. I want you to get all of our programs to this place. And having the kind of coaching staff that's available to a Division I school uh, was absolutely thrilling uh, to watch these people do their work. And I, I, I hope that my time there left behind a sense uh, that I was a good partner to the coaches there who created some amazing things uh, and and had, you know, I, I was proud that our, our programs were successful 
across all disciplines, not only each season, uh, but individual and team sports, uh, male, female, uh, and that, you know, being in an environment, where, you know, I, I oftentimes say I, it's been a privilege to get up and be paid to watch kids play uh, and and be there as someone uh, who hopefully steps in when welcomed as well as when occasionally I had to, uh, to say this is, this is again, let's focus on who we are and what we're here to do. Um, I was very appreciative. It was the first place I was introduced to covenants and the idea of being committed and being classy and being competitive uh, and having those kinds of touch points to come back to and say, are we doing this? Are we accomplishing this? Um, was was a great place for me at that stage of my career. Fast forwarding now to, what are we, 2023. Do you get a coaching itch for basketball anymore? I know Patrick said he still will get in your ear and try to get advice or tips. Do you still kind of have that passion for it? Or does that big mission of get all our teams good, does that fulfill kind of that competitive void? Well, two answers. One, just spoke with Patrick this morning. Uh, both he and Jade are on speed dial, and they've kept me on huddle. So I certainly watch virtually all of their games and uh, offer feedback when they want it, uh, hopefully not uh, when they don't want it. Uh, but um, I would say no from this perspective that I do. I have gotten to a place at this stage of my life where I feel like I know what's the best place for me. Uh, and uh, the place that I'm in right now, I was hired to build an athletic program where one had just been started. Uh, we've created a league in the Northeast. Quite frankly, Hazen has just joined the Northeast Athletic League for middle school, and we're excited to have them in. Uh, and uh, what I have been trying to get uh, more deeply rooted in is having coaches here invite me into practices, uh, wrapping back around to that notion of I'm a resource. Uh, and so I love going into the gym with these kids and working with them, but I'm okay with stepping away, uh, realizing, you know, I'm still in the gym six days a week uh, and having contact with kids, but uh, I feel like I'm, I'm a, I'm trying to be the the Lenny Drew, Dan Gandon, and Bruce Viennes to another generation of coaches right now. Yeah, it's like getting to be the fun grandparent. Come into practice, have some fun, then leave before the yelling starts. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Hit some quick questions, and then we'll wrap it up. Who are some of your favorite officials to see walk into a gym before your game? Uh, first and foremost was Al LaCroix. Um, when I saw Al step into a gym, I knew we were covered. I, it, the game was going to be handled uh, professionally uh, and and done. And it was just going to be a great night. The you know the I've always said the greatest um, compliment of a, of an officiating effort is when you don't even think that they were there. Uh, they come in and the game is played. It's a good game and, and you leave and you go, boy, I want to remember who did that game. They did a great job. 
And, you know, uh, Dan Shepardson is someone who I have uh, respected for an extremely long time uh, and brings professionalism uh, at the highest level to officiating. And so uh, as as often as we could get him, and then I guess the other I would point to goes back to my hometown, uh, Al Liberdoni, I think, does uh, an amazing job. So if I could have a work crew that was Shep, Al LaCroix and Al Liberdoni, uh, I might even leave the gym and just let the kids play because they, they'd be able to take care of it. Give me maybe three of the best players that you got to coach against? Oh, wow. What a great question. Uh, Benny Shangu. Um, uh, quite frankly, I only coached against him as a JV coach. At the time, I was Tom O'Shea's assistant. Ben uh, Benny played in uh, the first JV game of the year against Rice before he got pulled up to the varsity. Uh, but he had a phenomenal game against uh, Colton Hudson, who was playing for me at the time. It was just a great JV game. Uh, but he was a great young man. You know, yeah. there was that one contact. I did get to see him uh, at, you know, in Patrick uh, when we played against them. And he always took time to say hello. Uh, but he was just a he was one of those great presences on the court. Um, so Ben uh, is probably my number one. Uh, Mish, another Rice player uh, who um, it's just hard to contain him. Uh, I hadn't coached against uh, our, or it's not, it's not up to me coaching. I hadn't seen an opponent as quick as he was. He just created a problem that was hard to solve and took multiple people and different ways of thinking. So he would be a second. And then I didn't end up coaching against him, but I'm going to, I'm going to give a shout out to Jeff Davis. Uh, Jeff uh, played for, I coached Jeff and Paul Pecor their senior year in the Alhambra game. Jeff uh, was a consummate competitor. Uh, and although he didn't play technically on one of my high school teams. Uh, he did a job against Tunji Awajabi during the Alhambra game, which was unparalleled. He took this amazing talent and just neutralized him through effort and commitment to getting the job done. Uh, and I watched him carry that into his coaching uh, through all of his years at Mount Mansfield. And I've, I've always respected him for that. Give me a few glue guys you've had through the years who may never show up in a box score, but the team just wouldn't have been the same without him. His name occasion to show up in the box score at Ox, uh, at Oxbow, but Derek Fletcher um, was our point guard. He was a six, two point guard. There weren't a lot of kids his size, but he just, he was just, you know, pl he played off of Jamie Kingsbury uh, and you know, when you have a score like a Jamie, uh, it's easy to get lost uh, and then certainly have, you know, the further away from the starting lineup you might be. But Derek had a way of keeping us organized and keeping us uh, solid there. I would say uh, Phil Mason, who might have been the point guard during your time playing uh, at Thetford Academy. Uh, he, I want to say it was our game with you, in a semifinal, 
that he was really frustrated because uh, he hadn't scored. And I came he came over and I said, Phil, you need to understand you could never score, but without you, we don't win. And he went out and had this great second half. I think he might have scored four points, but he he was that calm that helped us break pressure. He was the calm that saw the ball get to the right places at the right time. He was smart. Um, so those two two come immediately to mind. Uh, you know, we had kids at the academy. Uh, I could name a number of them, but the the one that uh, that I think of. Most frequently, I, I give Antonio a lot of credit because uh, he came off of uh, Tom O'Shea's last team as one of the only returning players as a sophomore, and he was the glue that started the next phase of our program. And uh, he can take as much pride in in what the Hilltoppers have been doing since uh, as certainly anybody can. What's your favorite gym to go to? outside of, you know, your home gyms? Well, I have to admit the Barry Odd is just an experience unto itself. I'll never forget the first time coming up the stairs and and seeing the bank of people across from you after having stood in the uh, kitchen with it being 115 degrees in there Sounds and sweating right. profusely before getting up into the gym. It is, you know, uh, I think, I can't remember how many years ago they did the article uh, acknowledging that the odd was one of the top basketball, high school basketball venues in the country. Yeah. Uh, I think well-deserved. And the people in Barrie uh, do such an amazing job of making that the place that every kid in Vermont wants to get to. When you're scouting a team for the first time, what are the key things you look for? in a game? Well, my, my intent is uh, I've always taught all of the, the sports that I play that offense tries to be defense and defense tries to beat offense. So I start off with how do they attack? What is it that they're trying to do and what do they try? How do they try to do that most often? And can we interrupt it? And if we can, how do we do it? And uh, you know, the hope is, that you know as you develop a team over the course of the season you've developed them with multiple tools not just one way of playing that especially defensively are you going to hedge are you going to go under a screen are you going to double the ball off of a screen are you are you trying for instance are you trying to keep me from passing the elbow because once he got by the elbow it was all over you know and so in the championship game we had andrew cowan who's six, seven, you know, hedge off of that and try and turn him back to a guard that was coming underneath. We hadn't done that all year long in that combination. But if you have the pieces so that you can adapt, what can you take away? What are you going to have to live with? And then what are the areas that you can attack uh, most successfully? And where are you going to find that? I'm not sure on that side of it, uh, I was as good a coach as I could have been. And our last question, you're having a dinner party. You can invite four coaches to sit down with you. Who do you want to come to the table? Charlie Mason from New England College. Uh, I'm probably going to make sure, well, I'm going to say Patrick and Jay don't count. 
because uh, they they they're they're becoming they're already you know, in the house. They're already in the house, so they they were guests to begin with. So Charlie Mason, uh, probably uh, Mike Wood from Rutland, uh, Mike Osborne from CVU, uh, and probably Dave Fredrickson. All great answers. Well, Coach, I want to thank you so much for giving me all this time, and this has been an absolute pleasure for me, and this whole podcast is to get to know people like you and the contributions you've made are awesome to the game. And- I appreciate you having me, and I appreciate you elevating the sport even more uh, through these conversations, getting to hear some of the folks that you've interviewed already uh, is good, good contact for people uh, in the state. So thank you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks, everybody, that's hopped in. Like the Facebook page, No Fouls Pod. I want to thank CVTSport.net for coming on. They're going to sponsor some episodes here of the show. If you want to be a part of the No Fouls Podcast, you want to sponsor the podcast, you can send us an email, uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with another coach right here on No Fouls.